Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. You're listening to Uprise Radio, the second episode of our new show. My name's Jackson. I'm in the studio with James. Hey, James. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back. And we're also here with Meg, uh, our producer, our other producer, who's also paneling with us today. Thanks for joining us, Meg. Hey, good to be here. And today we're going to be talking about, as the song there by Pama International, off their song, The Altruistic Soul Sounds of Pama International, their UK band, the song's called Stop the War on the Poor, and we are talking about the Morrison government's uh, ongoing war on welfare, uh, which has really been a feature, one of the few features of this uh, Morrison government uh, since they took power last year. Yeah, I think, um, you know, while the government went to the election with hardly any policies, we have seen this has been something that's really, I think, come to the fore of what, you know, is the Morrison government's kind of ideology of how they want to attack, um, you know, working class and poor people. And I think that we really need to see it in that way as an ideology as well, because it's clear, you know, like um, others of Morrison's policies around, uh, you know, locking up asylum seekers in detention centres and things like that, that it's not about funding, it's not about money. And as much as Morrison wants to point to the economy, it's clearly an ideological um, position that he and, and his government has. And it really, I think, is framed both by his um, religion, religious views, and, you know, if you uh, have a go, you'll get a go. And also his deep-seated, um, you know, ideology in neoliberalism to his idols like... Howard and uh, Robert Menzies. Yeah, you know, there is a class war going on. It's a bit ironic that Bill Shorten during the last election was accused of uh, running a class war because of some of the policies that Labor came out with, franking credits and things. But There's there a difference is a- between identifying a class war and, um, yeah... Just trying to start one. There's already one happening. That's yeah. right. There is one going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, sadly, under the Morrison government, you know, the rich are winning this this conflict. I mean, you know, we're hearing of the dire state of the economy. Most people who are un- or underemployed, each uh, person, or there's 15 people, I should say, competing for each available job. Uh, we've got, you know, record high household debt. Wages are super stagnant. Um, you know, the, the Reserve Bank are desperately trying to resuscitate the economy by crunching... Uh, 
cash cash rates, and you've got Frydenberg parading a surplus, which was really built by slashing $6.8 billion out of the NDIS and Social Security. So they are slashing social services at a time of great need. But then they're also suggesting policies like the cashless welfare card. Uh, They want to roll this out to everybody under the age of 35 to begin with who's on any kind of income support at a cost very similar to the cost of having someone on Newstart for a year. But they, at the same time, this is why you can see it's so ideological, they refuse to raise the rate of Newstart, something that the Business Council of Australia and the Australian Council of Social Services both say would be the most effective method to mm. increase participation, to boost employment, to resuscitate the flagging economy, refusing to do this but happy to spend the same amount as it costs to have someone on new Newstart or exorbitant amounts locking people up in offshore detention you know that the list goes on they're happy to spend money in pursuing their ideological goals the guardian just had a, an article either yesterday or the day before that was um about uh some submissions that were made to a senate inquiry about the rate of new start and that every one of those suggested that there should be an independent body that determined what the rate of of the pensions should be because the it's been proven in the last 20 to 25 years that the government can't be responsible for that because they've abdicated their duty of making sure that new start is is a amount of money that you can actually live on which it yeah. clearly isn't. It is not. The social services minister, Anne Rustin, earlier mm. today said that uh, if you in, in, increased uh, New Start, you would just be giving more money to uh, drug dealers and pubs. Yeah, and that's the ideology behind mm. the wealth, the cashless welfare card, that, that there's this kind of idea, this paternalistic idea that a government can decide what people should spend their money on and um, and that, that people are spending it, quote unquote, in the wrong way. Yeah, on mm. nefarious things, yeah. you know, it's part of this broad narrative to turn, you know, other working people against the, the poorest and most vulnerable in our society. I mean, we mm. see it in Australia, we see it overseas as well. But these issues have had a bit of a boost, you know, and Rustin is responding, you know, there's been a lot of dog whistling by the government around around uh, drug testing welfare recipients. I doubt that that. Uh, program will actually go ahead but it also got a boost this week in uh, Juice Media who make those honest government ads Um, they've released a new ad targeting the cashless welfare card and for those who haven't heard it this is just a short excerpt of it now does it have a language warning no I've actually edited that out okay all right (laughs) Has your partner cut off access to your money? Do they control what you can and can't buy? Have they told you it's for your own good that you've brought this upon yourself? If so, you might be in an abusive relationship. Unless, of course, it's us doing it to you. In which case, you're on the cashless welfare card. Hello, I'm from the Australian Government, here to introduce the cashless welfare, or as we like to call it, class warfare card. Soon to be rolled out nationally to everyone on income support, the class warfare card will quarantine most of your money so you can't spend it on alcohol drugs or gambling. Don't drink, do drugs or gamble? That's okay. You're trying to access social security, so we want you to feel like a piece of Class Warfare Card. Is it convenient? Not at all. Withdrawing cash at the ATM. Zero dollars. Trying to buy secondhand goods. Zero. Shopping at the market. Garage sale. Tuck shop money for the kids. Nope. Losing your dignity and autonomy. 
priceless. Most things you won't be able to buy. For everything else, there's Class Warfare Card. Is it effective? Not according to our own research, which found little evidence that it reduces substance abuse or unemployment. In one trial, it even caused an increase in crime. Will we do it anyway? Of course. Because if this was about helping people get back on their feet, we would have taken the advice of experts who say the answer is investing more in mental health, housing and rehab centres, raising new start. So the Green Senator, Rachel Seward, has been really um, vocal on this since it was first rolled out in 2016. She's from Western Australia, which the Goldfields is one of the first places they rolled out this cashless welfare card. And, mm. you know, one of the key criticisms is that, you know, even if you do stop people spending money on so-called nefarious things, if you don't set up any wraparound services to support these issues like drug and alcohol counselling, rehab centres, it's totally ineffective. And I think it's uh, we're going to have Amanda on from the Say No 7, a Facebook activist group and something they've highlighted is the the places where the cashless welfare card has been rolled out Sedona in south australia the east kimberley hinkler uh, cape york and nt there's thirty five thousand people now on the, on the trial but mm. all the things they've asked for professional rehab unit you know youth centers drug and alcohol counselors none of them have been delivered yeah well i think you know and like many things in australia that um aboriginal people are usually used as guinea pigs for the government's kind of trials of trying to crack down on um, people, you know, enjoying any kind of liberties. And mm. I remember um, as part of the Melbourne Anti-Intervention Collective and um, group we started in 2007 that, you know, the basics cards um, was really a part of, you know, became a real key focus of that campaign actually um, from, I guess, probably from around 12 months afterwards because... It, it again was used in a real trial in in those areas there and i think on top of the fact of um you know having your money quarantined on a card especially in in um you know aboriginal communities like that so much of the services are so expensive as well mm. that it means that um you can't go to another service that you might have to get that thing cheaper because the, the supermarkets and those places are charging you know fifty dollars for a loaf of bread or whatever you know they're actually quite obscene the amounts and mm. so it, it is going to hit those communities and it already has been for you know 12 years now it's a classic example of um what the government has been doing the entire time since colonization which is not listening to aboriginal people and not listening to their requests for what they actually need in their communities um mm. which is shameful yeah. and now being rolled out further it's it's interesting the Cape York and NT where there's 23,000 people on what was the basics card now being moved to this Inju card which is a private company uh, 80% of those 23,000 people are Indigenous and the main things they've been asking for during what little consultation process there has been has been autonomy and respect mm. alongside services pu funding and obviously this is not being delivered. I mean clearly it's highly paternalistic, um, it's totally misplaced, it's restrictive, it's an, it's an infringement on civil liberties mm. and it was an, it's an openly racist policy which now it seems like the government is trying to make an openly classist policy where anybody who needs any form of government support um, is going to be treated like they cannot manage their own affairs. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. I actually um, you know, found this audio of David Linehelm, who's a, you know, just a despicable human being, in my opinion. That's my opinion, I should say. Uh, um, I, think it's, uh, I think other people have that opinion as well. Yeah, I think other, I'm sure. I mean, do you? 
<laughs> Do you have that opinion? I've never met the man, um, <laughs> but I've never heard anything positive about him. In your immediate experience? No, me either. Oh, no, no, I've never heard anything positive about him. <laughs> or read or, no. or seen or, yeah. Mm. Uh, anyway, I just thought it'd be worth playing just a little clip of David here to get an insight into the way that, the con- you know, he's a conservative mouthpiece and the way that these narratives are shaped around people who need the support of the community that they live in. The bill removes legislative limits on the delivery of welfare through a card instead of cash. A proportion of the welfare of the card, typically 80 per cent, cannot be used to directly pay for alcohol, gambling or illegal drugs. The Liberal Democrats support this bill. Some people find this position confusing. After all, the Liberal Democrats support you doing what you want with your money. The point is, welfare is not your money. It's charity. It's the taxpayer's money. And taxpayers can set whatever conditions they like on the use of that money. If those offered other people's money don't like the conditions, no one is forcing them to take the money. So this idea here, first of all, that no one is forcing people to take the money just shows a complete mm. lack of understanding of what the social safety net is and what welfare is. If you're a full-time carer, you're living with a disability, this is, you know, if you're chronically unemployed because of the 15 people per one available job, it's not a choice to take welfare, it's a necessity. And this other idea that taxpayers can somehow determine how their money is spent. I would like to determine how much of my money goes towards the military industrial mm. complex, how many goes towards building coal mines. Yeah, trying how to mu- make Australia one of the biggest exporters of weapons in the world. It's just yeah. blatant lies that, 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 that there is in so many other facets that there is any control by people paying taxes, you know, huge taxes that government collect and then spend on things that I fundamentally don't agree with. So this insane idea that we can somehow set caveats on the money that people use to survive, to send their kids to school, to, you know, to buy medical supplies, to pay for rent, you know, that we can, we, we can have any say in how that money is spent, I think is just gross. I think if we want to, I mean, people joke about that, um, have a go, get a go from Morrison. Um, but there's actually, I think, you know, if you look at some of the writing, the monthly and quarterly essay, um, journalists have been doing mm. it's growing quite deeply into how his um, you know religious ideology is shaping his language and it's actually it's it's not just a saying that's come out of nowhere it, it really is something that is framed by um, what Morrison thinks is should be happening and mm. you know what they're saying is if you don't have a job if you don't have a house you're not having a go and you know that's that's really that we're saying and so then they're saying well the government's not going to give you anything and actually, in the lead up to the election, Morrison said that uh, we we live the services that we rely on are very clear, and that we plan to deliver on these. These are the things that Australians can rely on. Well, isn't welfare one of those things that Australians want to rely on? Mm. I think that you know, while he didn't promise much, this is you know one statement that from the quarterly essay that came out just after the election mm. that Morrison did promise, and I think it's clear that that's something that they're trying to eradicate. Yeah. Well, their own numbers say they spent $6.8 billion less on social services in the 17-18 fiscal year. Now, we probably should get our interview guest, mm-hmm. Amanda, from the Sino 7 on the line, but I thought uh, while we get on the line, we could hear a classic track from Californian punk band The Dills. Uh, this is their 1977 track, Class War. I think it's number seven. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was The Deals playing Class War and you're on 3CR listening to Uprise Radio and we're joined by Amanda from the Say No 7. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Can you hear us, Amanda? Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> thank you for Sorry joining us. That. No, not your fault. Um, so you guys have been opposing the cashless debit card since the first trials. Can you tell us about um, how the card initially targeted Aboriginal communities and what impact it has had? Yeah. Okay. The card started in uh, Seduna, as most, most people know by now. Um, but income management itself was first introduced way before then in the Northern Territory in 2007 uh, and become part of the ENTER response, the Northern Territory Emergency Response. So income management itself was already amongst the communities a long time before then. But in 2015, it rolled out in Seduna, the INJU card specifically, and um, it really was a steamroll for the whole community. Um, I've got the actual words from the community themselves because I didn't want to speak for anybody. Um, And what they were told was that it wouldn't be a blanket approach. Um, It was only supposed to be targeted to people who were abusing alcohol and um, using drugs. And, um, you know, it would only be for one year. And uh, when it came in, it actually came right through and it was all payments, all ages and targeted everybody. Mm. And um, the signatories to the MOU, which is a memorandum of understanding, you know, um, yeah, where promises were made to people that, you know, things were going to go a certain way. They just didn't materialise. So the community was left rather stunned. One woman describes it as a bomb hit the town, you know. So it's a pretty full-on experience. That sounds absolutely uh, devastating. Yeah, well, I'm reading it here. Um, they ended the the understandings with the government in good faith, mm. and um, and were given a lot of misleading information. Basically, what's happening again now is <laughs> happened in 2015. Um, some communities were sort of had information sessions where they were told what was going to happen to them, as opposed to being part of the decision making process. Other communities, um, especially communities closer to Port Augusta, weren't even told at all. The first mm. they realised they were going to be put on cards was when they arrived in the mail. So a very huge lack of community consultation and, um, you know, and very quickly uh, Mimi Stewart and people withdrew the MOUs, but by then it was too late. Um, They had no... Uh, community consent was no longer considered an issue. The program was put in place, and um, and it was extended the very next year by the mayor, who you know who, who made a midnight council meeting, decided for everyone it would continue. So nobody had a say in it continuing either. So it was a a, a real. It wasn't. It was sort of after the suspension of the racial act for the inter- intervention. Mm. Um, it was pretty much sort of a slap in the face and underlining that process of removing people's rights without their consent, not giving them the, the information to help themselves. Mm. There's often a real like minimisation by conservative politicians about the impact that this quarantining of money has on people's lives. Can you tell us from the conversations you've been having with people who are living on the Indu? card what what is it like what are the practical impacts of having 80 percent of your income limited to this card um well there's this it's really hard in a few in a few minutes to sort of say all of them but there is twofold first there is the emotional and internalized aspect of losing your autonomy your self-control your self-determination um which are you know, things we all take for granted. Mm. It's not just our spending of the money. It's our it's our ability to choose what we do with our day and where we spend without needing to ask permission from some authority. 
Now, people in the territory, of course, have had this for a lot longer, so they'd know exactly what I mean. But for people um, who outside of the territory, they've never had this experience before. So those were the key, those were the first um, impacts that people were noticing, the stigma, the shame. They felt like it was ration cards all over again. The loss of power in the community, the fact that this was just done to people. They had no choice and no say. Um, but living on the cart itself, practically, is you're, you're living in a community where, um, you know, you've got co-ops and shops and things that you've been using to get your vegetables, get your cheap things, you know. You'll use Facebook or you'll use, if you've got internet, you'll use um, store suppliers and things that, that provide you things cheap and you can no longer use those. On this card, you have to, you know, you have to go where the card is accepted and um, so you're, you're, the money and your income is being channeled into places where you're actually paying more for goods than you were before. Mm. Um, the, the second-hand market completely is cut off from you. If you want a second-hand item, you have to actually ring into and ask them to transfer um, money into your account for that to happen. And there is a whole process involved in that. You've got to get an affidavit, a photograph. So you can't take advantage of any of the, you know, the sales that are on mm. or somebody on having an item on Gumtree or something like that. You know, you've mm. got to ask permission. This whole subservient process of asking permission for your own income. So it's, um, you know, you do get 20% in your account and that is cash, but for someone on youth allowance, that's $3.60 a day. Mm-hmm. For somebody on new start, it's like $6. Somebody on the DSP, it's around $11 a day and parenting's the same. Parenting with children is around $11 a day. And you've got to make, you know, up all your other discretionary spending that you would normally do in cash has to come out of that. So uh, it's... Um, as you it's said not a lot before, of money. <laughs> yeah, and I think as you said before, it's um, you know, as we, we see, we saw a version of this in the Northern Territory as well for a number of years, and although introduced by the Liberal government, that was continued and expanded by the Labor government as well, and now with the Liberal Party, uh, you know, again in power, you know, what kind of trust do you think that this leaves with both major parties, you know, putting a version I, of this card in in practice? What kind of trust does, do people have for a government or? Yeah, or a future election. Okay, you know, who are we going to vote party. for? <laughs> well, somebody said, oh, it was a comment was slung away on Sunrise the other morning about autonomy, um, that it had to be earned. And, you know, and uh, mm. when you look at the Cape York region, who have been, who have a completely unique community control, community developed income management program that works for them, they have earned, more than earned, their autonomy as a community. And that, that control is now being taken away from them in the new bill that's come to Parliament. So it's like um, the, all that work and trust with government over the last, you know, 10 years has just gone out the window, um, and that's both parties. Nobody knows exactly who to trust. Labor does want to try and impose amendments on the current bill that will make it a voluntary, you know, a voluntary program. They have withdrawn, Labor have withdrawn bipartisan support for this. Mm. They're starting to wake up to the reality of it, but it's taken an incredibly long period of time for that to happen. Um, and what's happening now in no way uh, equates to what was happening under the ALP, which was, again, this supported service, an opt-in and voluntary approach. Mm-hmm. Today, it is a mandatory approach under the intervention, and it is a, and this rollout of in-due cards um, is, a, is a mandatory approach as well, mandatory and blanket. In, mm-hmm. And in the Territory and Cape York, that includes people on age pension, not just the payments trigger list. And that's what people need to be aware of. This bill that's coming into Parliament now is the fat lady singing bill. If we Mm. can't stop this bill, 
that's it, not just for the Aboriginal communities in the Territory and Cape York, for everybody ongoing. Mm. You know, um, Amanda, why yeah. do you think the government is so keen to move such a large section of society onto a cashless form of social interaction? Why is this a priority okay, for the we government? We spoke about this on the phone in, in brief before... Mm. Um, this this whole uh, transfer is to a digital economy. This is monetary policy in action. This isn't social welfare policy. This is a monetary policy. And uh, the monetary policy comes straight from the IMF down through the IEPA and pressure on the Liberal government. Um, and it's basically to transform everyone into a digital economy. Um, and if that was done unilaterally across the board, everyone being equal, that would be fine. But they're using the Centrelink recipients, especially Aboriginal communities as test beds for technology and and for the policy itself and they're restricting incomes they're restricting Centrelink incomes whereas in a cashless society they wouldn't be restricting people's spending um so there is more to it than just the imf imperative but that's where it comes from they want to transform the whole thing to a digital economy and um and they know unlike in india they know that there will be kickback here you know, um, there was very little kickback in India when they started withdrawing notes and, and started transforming to a digital economy. Mm-hmm. Same as in Europe, as small populations in Europe, you know, didn't find it a problem at all. Mm-hmm. But here we have, you know, it's 50-50 cash, cash base. You know, cash is still king here. And when it comes to Centrelink recipients, control is king. Having mm-hmm. control and self-determination is king. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, they're definitely test betting, if you like. Mm. And what what happens next, Amanda? This will have to be our last question. I'm sorry, we're um, coming yep. close to the end of the show. But um, how do people get involved, and um, what what okay. what's your next plans? All right. Well, we um, we have a representative speaking at the Senate inquiry public hearing in uh, Alice Springs, and we will be submitting to Senate now. Mm. We have the um, the submissions are open right now to write on this issue to the Senate. You don't have to be on a card to write, mm. and we'll continue our campaign of of information and awareness mm. and anti propaganda. Please join the page. Mm. Give us some support. Mm. And um, but we we are at the moment. In raising awareness of what's really going on is our primary concern. Great. You know, um, and stopping this, it's a violation. You know, Olga summed it up. It's a complete violation of the human rights of Aboriginal people in the Northern Territory in Australia, all of us. You know, mm. we're having our human rights abused and we have to stand up. Okay, there is heaps of information on the Say No 7 Facebook page. I recommend everybody get on there and check it out. Thanks so much for talking to us today, Amanda. You're very welcome. Uh, thanks for joining me, James and Meg. And that's the end of our show. It went very quickly. Uh, we've got a song to take us out. It's actually Ty Seagal covering the Dills that we heard earlier. This is his version of Class War. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We will.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.